Peter was sitting there on the beach beside Jesus. It's probably a spot where he never imagined he would be sitting because he had messed up. And it wasn't just a little bit of a mess up. It was a monumental betrayal of the Lord. If you just rewind a few days before that, he was up in the upper room with Jesus and the other disciples having the Last Supper. And as they were leaving the upper room and headed down to the Mount of Olives, they sang a song together. And Peter told Jesus then, even if I have to die for you, I'll never deny you. Just a couple minutes later, Jesus asked Peter and James and John to pray for him in the Garden of Gethsemane while he went to go pray by himself. And of course, Peter dozed off a few times. Not long after that, the soldiers came into the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus. And the Bible tells us that all the disciples deserted him and fled. But that wasn't the worst thing that Peter did that night. Because these soldiers took Jesus to the high priest's house and there before the Sanhedrin he's being interrogated and Peter snuck up out into the courtyard there outside and he's out there by the fire when a servant recognizes Peter, hears his accent and said, this is this is one of the men that was with Jesus. This is one of his followers. And right out there in the courtyard, Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was three separate times, cursing that he would even be associated with Jesus. Then the rooster crowed that morning and the prediction that Jesus had made about Peter's denial was realized by Peter. Jesus would go and be crucified. Three days later, he would rise from the dead. And Peter and the other disciples are there in Jerusalem. They're scared for their lives. And the Bible tells us a couple days later, Peter and some of the disciples are out on the boat fishing out in the sea. And, and Peter hears a familiar voice from the seashore. And so he leaps off of the boat and he swims up to the shore and he's sitting there on the beach with Jesus. You can kind of imagine what this must have been like for Peter. It would have been hard. He probably felt unworthy, ashamed, sort of sheepish. Anyway, what is Jesus going to do to Peter? Is he going to berate him? Is he going to chastise him? Is he going to cast him out? Is he going to throw him aside? But we see here the way that Jesus cares for Peter in this ultimate act of love and restoring him. He says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, you know I love you, Jesus, and feed my sheep. Jesus asks him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know that I love you and shepherd my sheep. 
And he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. And he told Peter, come follow after me. The three affirmations are not by accident. It's a, it's a restoration of the three denials that took place just a few days before that. And God is showing Peter in this moment how much he loves him. How much he cares for him. And as the church, this is the sort of care that we are called to show to one another in the gospel. Jesus could have canceled Peter, but instead he cared for him. And there's a sharp divide in in society currently about what love looks like, about what care looks like. Some would say that to truly love someone, you got to let them be whatever they want to be. You got to let them do whatever they want to do. You got to let them say whatever they want to say. And if you were to If you were to uh, go against any of their choices or contradict anything that they would choose to do, that's considered to be unloving. But the Bible presents a really different perspective about what love looks like, about what care looks like. The Bible says that if you're going to truly love someone, then you're going to pray for them. And you're going to encourage them. And that you're going to correct them when they are off course. And you're going to support them when they're weak. And you're going to help them as they follow after the Lord and his plan for their lives. And so that means that there are going to be times that you're going to have to have some hard conversations. There are going to be times that you may feel uncomfortable. There's going to be times that you feel uh, corrected. But that's not unloving. That's loving. Because you care enough about the person to not allow them to hurt themselves or to hurt other people. And so in our passage today, as we are continuing our series through the book of Galatians, Paul is outlining for us a holistic view of how the church should care for one another in the gospel. We've been working our way all the way through the book of Galatians, and today we are in week 15 of a 16-week series uh, through the book of Galatians. And as you've worked, as we've gone through this book, it begins with uh, Paul's defense of, of, of his apostleship uh, and his authority in speaking to these churches in Galatia. There's a great theological uh, uh, outline that he makes there as he's addressing uh, how you know that you are a follower of Jesus. He's addressing a particular uh, crisis that's happening in the churches of Galatia where this group of Judaizers had come in and they're trying to tell them that they're not really followers of, of the Lord because they had not been circumcised. And Paul's saying, no, that we believe in the gospel, that you don't have to have these outward signs of circumcision, that what makes you a follower of, of Jesus is that you've believed in him by faith to save you from your sins. And as we get to the very end of the letter to the Galatians, as is the case with most of Paul's letters, you kind of get a lot of this uh, scattershot instructions. He, he gives you a lot of, uh, of ways in which you can apply the things that he's been saying all throughout the letter. You know, he, he's been giving you this theological underpinnings, and now he says, here's how you live this out. 
You do this, 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 this. This is what it looks like for us as the church to do these things. And that's where, where we arrive today in the letter to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 6. He's showing us how we are to care for one another with the gospel. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask that you'd stand in honor of God's word if you're able. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. Galatians 6 verse 1, the word of God says... Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone considers himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Let the one who's taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. So let us not get tired of doing good. For we'll reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look into this passage today, uh, I know you are, have grown accustomed to me having one or two points, maybe three points sometimes in a sermon. Well, today we're going to have six, okay? So uh, just buckle up as we walk through uh, this passage of scripture, because he's given us some very clear ways in which we are to care for one another in the gospel. And so today, if you're a Christian this morning, I want you to think about how you're supposed to care for other people as we walk through this passage of scripture. How am I supposed to care for my brothers and sisters in Christ? But if you're not a follower of Jesus today and you're going and asking yourself, well, what does this mean to me? I don't really care what you're saying. I want you to understand today that this is how Jesus cares for you. This is how he loves you. And let that sink into your heart as we go through this passage of Scripture. So the first thing that we see this morning is restoration. If we're going to care for one another in the gospel, the goal of what we do is restoration. Our hope is that every single person who's a follower of Jesus... Uh, and might be struggling in their walk with him, would be restored in their walk with God. Our hope is that every person uh, who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord would be forgiven of their sins through faith in Jesus as their Savior and, and would be uh, reconciled to God, restored into a relationship with him. And so what Paul says here in verse 1 is, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Now, when Paul instructs those who are spiritual uh, to come alongside, uh, uh, he's saying those who are more mature in their faith. You know, those who are maybe farther along in their discipleship journey. He says, the call here is for you to restore those who are struggling. Those who are, who are faltering in their walk. He uses a Greek word here, 
katartizo, which is translated as restore. And it, it carries the idea of mending something that's broken. It would be a word that they would use to be setting a bone that had been broken. Uh, and so he's, he's, we're mending something that, that needs to be brought back into, uh, into perfection. He says, this is what we're supposed to do with those who are struggling in their walk with the Lord. He says a similar thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18 through 20. He says, everything is from God who's reconciled us to himself through Christ. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He's committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. And so we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so he's given us, as as followers of Jesus, a ministry of reconciliation. Calling the lost into relationship with the Lord. Calling the struggling into a deeper faith with the Lord. This is his ministry of reconciliation that he's entrusted to us as the church. And he tells us here in our, in our verse this morning that those who are, who are mature should do this with a gentle spirit. He says that you're supposed to restore them, but do it with a gentle spirit. That means that the goal is not condemnation. The goal is restoration. Remember, Jesus didn't cancel Peter there by the beach. He cared for Peter. And so it's, it's to speak with a brother or sister and say to them, it seems like you're struggling here. How can I help you? And a follower of Jesus might not like being called out I know I don't, okay, but the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me will confirm it, and he'll correct it, and he'll bring that conviction, and so you repent, and you're restored, and that takes courage, and that takes humility. It also might take you being willing for that person to call you out on something, (laughs) and then saying, you know what, you're right, that's sin in my life. And I'm going to repent of that. Because none of us are perfect, so we always have to be willing to confess and repent and be restored. Because we don't want to remain in sin, we want to run to Jesus. And that's what gospel care looks like. It's us working at the ministry of reconciliation. And the ministry of restoring those who are struggling and bringing those who don't know Jesus into a relationship with him. And so we first see that this gospel care is going to look like restoration. It's also, secondly, going to look like ministry. If we're going to care for one another in the gospel, it's going to require times that we would have increased ministry to one another. Because there's going to be seasons in your life where there's going to be hardships, or there's going to be trials, or there's going to be crises. And in those moments, the church is going to come alongside of a brother or sister to help them in their time of need. He says in verse 2, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. There may be some here even right now who, if you would, would be open and be 
honest would say, I need someone to help carry this burden. It might be a health issue. It might be a trial with your children. It might be uh, a disagreement with someone in your life. It might be a particular sin that you're struggling with. And he says that we're going to help lift one another up and go forward together in Christ. I can tell you that I am so thankful to have deacons and pastors and other church members who come alongside of me to lift me up when things in my life seem overwhelming and that are there to, to lock arms with me. And Paul says this is what it's like in, to be part of the church, that we're going to minister to one another. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15, he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. They were equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we'll no longer be little children, tossed by the waves, blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. So let us grow into Christ is the goal. We want to push one another along in our faith. And then we're going to help one another when someone is stumbling. We're going to pick them up and walk with them. The, this is all those one another passages that we find in the New Testament letters. It's the church caring for one another. I think about Tyler. Tyler was a young boy in elementary school when he was off at school one day and his father died of a heart attack at his house. And I received a call in the office from his mother to tell us what had happened. And she wanted us to be there when he and his little sister got home from school that day. And they were going to share with them what had happened. That's a hard conversation. And so me and, and a deacon from the church were there as they got off the school bus. And we all sat down in the living room. And we were there to share with him that his father had had gone that day and we were there to let him cry and to ask questions and to talk with him and to minister to him in those moments and it wasn't just on that day it was in the days and weeks and even years to come that this church came alongside and lifted him up and encouraged him and, and just a week or so ago he just graduated from high school but it was the church being there for him to help carry a burden. And there may be times that you're the weak one needing someone to help carry your burden, and there may be other times that you're the strong one helping to carry another's burden. And as the church, we're there for one another to minister to one another in the gospel. That's how we care. Thirdly, we see that if we're going to care for one another in the gospel, then we have to take responsibility for our relationship with God. Responsibility. Look what he says in verses 3 through 5. If anyone considers himself to be something when he's nothing, 
He deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Each person will have to carry his own load. That means that there's personal responsibility. That no one can live your life for you. I can't be spiritual for you. And you can't be spiritual for me. Your parents' spirituality doesn't count for you. Romans chapter 14, verse 12, Paul says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And so we all have to walk our own discipleship journey. Now you may be wondering, how does, how does this verse work with that previous admonition to, to carry one another's burdens? How can, how can we each have to carry our own load and also have to carry one another's burdens? It means that there's going to be times in your life that you're going to need help. And in those times, you have brothers and sisters that are there to, to help you and lift you up. But ultimately, each of us is responsible for ourselves. A brother or sister can only do so much to help you. You have to take ownership of your own walk. For example, if there's a brother who is struggling with drunkenness, and he says, I, I, I need help. You can come alongside of that person and you can help them. You can pray with them. You can ask them the questions and, and, and hold them accountable. You can send them encouraging scriptures to, to motivate them. You can be a person that they can call when they're feeling tempted. You can try and help set up boundaries in their life to, to protect them, to avoid tempting situations. But ultimately, that person has to decide to stop drinking. You can't do that for them. And so there's, there's personal responsibility for each of us. Now, when I look at verses 1 through 5, all those things happen in D groups and in connect groups here at our church. In connect groups, there's Bible study, there's fellowship, there are relationships where you're ministering to one another. In D groups, there's personal responsibility for your walk. There's restoration when someone struggles. There's bearing one another's burdens. All these things are happening in the C groups and D groups as part of our discipleship journey here at church. But as the church, we have to understand that we have responsibility for our own personal walk with the Lord. Your pastor and your connect group leader can't do all your Bible study for you. Your worship pastor can't do all your worshiping God for you. You're going to have to walk out of this building and walk this walk on Monday through Saturday. You have responsibility for your walk with God what Paul shares us shares with us about caring for one another in the gospel. Fourthly, he tells us that there's going to be encouragement. If we're going to care for one another in the gospel, we need to provide encouragement to one another. In verse 6, he says, Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. So the brother or sister who's learning, the brother or sister who's growing, should share that. Share that with the teacher. Share it with the mentor. Share it with the church. That accomplishes two things. One, 
it blesses the teacher. It lets them know that their labor isn't in vain. It, it, it lets them know an affirmation of the ministry that's happening. Like Mark Twain once said, I can live for two months on a good compliment, right? You, some of you know you, that your love language is words of affirmation. You know it. But secondly, it blesses the whole church. Nothing ignites a church more than to see life change happening in people. Like when we had our, our family reunion a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday night, and we had John and Heather Andrews up here giving a testimony of what God is doing in their life, and it, I've heard over and over and over in these last couple of weeks about how much that blessed people. How much that inspired people. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, the Bible says, Let us watch out for one another, provoking love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. He says, let's, let's spur one another on to love and to good deeds. Let's encourage one another because that testimony will be an inspiration to others. It's going to be a celebration of the Lord and of the work that he's doing. Every time that we share testimonies, that we share mission moments of how God is at work in your lives, it blesses the whole church. And it inspires me. And it motivates me. And it encourages me. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. So tell the story about what God's doing in your life because you never know how it may impact somebody else. How it might be just what they needed to hear. That the Lord used you to minister to them and to encourage them. So Paul says if we're going to care for one another in the gospel, we're going to have to encourage one another like that. Fifthly, if we're going to care for one another in the gospel, we must understand that we're ultimately accountable to God with what we do with his gospel. There's accountability. Verses 7 and 8. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. The one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So he says you're going to have to answer to God for how you served him. Did you waste your life? Did you squander the gifts that he gave you to serve him? Did you keep the best news there ever was all to yourself? Or did you give your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength to serve the Lord? Did you pour out your life for the kingdom of God? Did you sow your life to your own self and to your flesh? Or did you sow your life to the spirit, to the kingdom? Remember what Jesus said to Peter when he was restoring there on the beach? He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. He held him accountable to what he was going to do with the gospel. He says, I'm going to restore you, and you're going to serve me. 
He says we can't con God. God is not mocked. He sees all. He knows all. Hebrews 4.13 concurs. It says no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so we're going to answer to him about if we have wasted what he's entrusted to us. Jesus tells a parable about this. Matthew 25, verses 13 through 40, is the parable of the talents. There's a master who gives five talents to one man, two talents to one man, one talent to another man. Goes off on a journey, comes back. The man that had five talents, he took the five talents and he multiplied them. He had five more talents. The man that had two talents, he took them, invested them, and multiplied them, had two more talents. The man that had one talent said that he was scared. He went and he hid it. But here, you can have it back. And the master wasn't okay with that in the story, was he? He wasn't okay with, hey, I took, I took what you got with me and I kind of hid it for a while. And like, here, here it is back. I didn't, I didn't lose it or anything. Here it is. And that wasn't good enough. The Lord rebuked the man because he didn't use what God had given him to serve his master. God isn't mocked. We're not putting anything past him. So what are you doing with the gospel in your life? Is the gospel something that you believed in for salvation years ago only? Or is it also the driving force behind everything that you are and everything that you do? Because we're accountable to God for what we do with his gospel, he says. The last thing that we see in this passage is that if we're going to care for one another in the gospel, we must not give up. It's going to take perseverance. We have to continue to press on. We have to continue to push forward because there's going to be hardship and there's going to be opposition and there's going to be attacks that come from the evil one. In fact, Jesus said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And so knowing that the Lord is with us and that he'll never forsake us, we push on in the good work of the gospel. Verses 9 and 10, Paul writes, Let us not get tired of doing good. For we'll reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. If you've been around church for any length of time, you know that being the church together can be hard. It's going to require patience. It's going to require humility. It's going to require grace. It's going to require forgiveness. It's going to require hard work. There's going to be times that you're going to wonder if all this is worth it. There's going to be times that you just want to give up. But James says in James 1.12, Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And Peter understood this in a profound way, this one that was restored on the beach. He wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Cast all your cares on him. 
because he cares for you. Boy, he knew that, didn't he? He says, I can give it all to him because he cares for me. And Peter realized, sitting on the beach, that Jesus really loved him. It was hard, but it was wonderful. Jesus showed how much he cared as he restored Peter. So persevere because the one who has called you and saved you and sent you is worth it all. And the end of the story is glorious. It's the restoration of all of God's creation. It's the salvation of the redeemed of the Lord. And we get to be part of it. We get to celebrate at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We get to join in with the countless saints that are gathered around the throne saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory and power and wisdom and blessing forever and ever. Amen. So persevere. In the work of the gospel, because there's no greater calling. So as we move to a time of response, we do this every week. We have a time where you get to respond to the word of God and how the spirit of God is speaking in your life. There may be some who realize today that now is the time to be restored. I don't have a relationship with God. But today I've come to realize that this is how Jesus loves me. And you want to turn from your sin. That's the, the Bible uses the word repent. If you want to turn away from your sin and call on Jesus, the one who died on the cross to pay your debt, who died in your place but was raised from the dead on the third day so that right now, you could call on him and be forgiven of your sins. That you could be washed clean. That you could be made whole. That you could be restored. And that can happen in your heart today. In a minute, we're going to stand. We're going to sing. There's going to be leaders here across the front. And if this is a decision you want to make in your heart, then you can come and share with them and say, I, I want this restoration today. I want this relationship with God that the pastor's talking about. There may be others this morning, as you think about Christians, how you can care for people. That's what I asked you to think about from the very beginning of the sermon. How can I care for others in the gospel? Maybe there's someone in the room that you know is carrying a burden. And you need to go pray with them and help them carry their burden right now. During this time of invitation, do that. Maybe there's someone that you need to encourage this, this morning. It might be your connect group leader or some other mentor or someone else. That you need to let them know what an impact they've made in your life. And you need to go encourage one another in the gospel this morning. Maybe this morning you realize that you're accountable to God with what you do with the gospel and that you, you're wasting your life. And you want to spend some time in prayer there at your seat or even here at this altar Saying, God, I don't want to waste what you've given to me. I want to give everything I have for you and your kingdom. Maybe this morning you are sitting in your seat and you're just tired and you're heavy laden. And today, the Spirit of God is saying, persevere. Keep pushing. Because we'll reap at the proper time if we don't give up. So keep pushing.
Maybe you want to commit yourself and say, Lord, I'm weak. But when I'm weak, then I'm made strong. So God, give me the strength to keep pushing and persevering. So there's lots of different ways that you can apply these things that Paul has talked about this morning. But don't just sit there and do nothing. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart this morning. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, for the encouragement of your word today. God, as your church, may we be faithful to care for one another in the gospel. Lord, during these next few moments, may your spirit move in our hearts. Lord, may you move across this room and do what only you do. God, for people that need to trust in you as Lord and Savior, I pray for salvation in these moments. Lord, for people that need to come and and join this church family and say, this is the place where I want to have the care that you've been talking about. Then it's time for them to come and to say, I want to to become part of this church. Lord, for people that need to go to others and do these various things, Lord, I pray that there would be ministry happening all over this room. God, have your way. Move in power in Jesus' name. Amen.